when Burhalter coaches us, a lot of times it doesn't seem like there's any continuity to our, our play. There, there's It's like people are unsure and, and they play unsure. And for me, the, the glaring statement of the whole game and the whole prior up to the game is we got a little bit more insight of, of Burhalter now that he's the coach and what are we to expect. And I, I thought the biggest thing for me was when he said, I haven't spoken to Gio Reyna yet. And then, of course, in Chicago, a $35.5 million sale with $25 million of further investment promised by the ownership group led by Chicago Cubs and Chicago Sky part owner Laura Ricketts. Thankfully, someone bought the Chicago side because yes. this team, man, they needed somebody to invest and someone to bring in money to be able to buy players, to trade players. Welcome back into Straight from the Pitch. Joined as always by Scotty Schweitzer. I'm Anna Witte. A lot of news in NWSL and MLS and U.S. men's and U.S. women's national team. But before we dive into it all this week, Scotty's got a new t-shirt and we need to hear about it. You said you went to a LL Cool J concert on Sunday. How was it? It was amazing. I went to the uh, LL Cool J concert and um, he's been torn. It's like they almost at the end. He ends in Boston. Um, but it... I didn't know the lineup till the morning of, and I'm a big, huge East Coast rap fan. And he had one of my favorite rappers, Rakim, was on the was on it. De La Soul was there. Nice. Z Trip, uh, DJ Jazzy Jeff. He brought out Petey Pablo because it was in North Carolina. Petey Pablo's from Greenville. I think he lives in Charlotte now. But I mean, it was amazing. Yeah, I went with my 14 year old daughter. It was one of the greatest concerts I've ever seen. Oh, and the Roots. The Roots were the the band that played for oh, everybody. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a huge Roots fan. But it was cool how, like, usually when you go to a concert, uh, you know, between each set, you get a little break and people move around. Well, it was straight three, three and a half hours. of It never stopped. They just kept bringing people out and they just kept coming out. And, like, the music never stopped. There was never a time where the lights went on. Uh, Juvenile was actually, like, there was just the the, the people that were there, like, that I got, but I to me to be able to see Rakim live, man, that dude is legendary, legendary. So I'm repping my New York Mets hat and my uh, new T-shirt. It sounds <laughs> like a, fifty years of fifty years of hip hop. It sounds like a Taylor Swift concert. Doesn't she perform for like what three and a half, four straight hours? You'd have to ask my daughter. She's had a hell of a 2023. She went to Taylor Swift and then she went to LL Cool J. I mean, they'll get no better than that. I know. Take I need to come off from concerts, maybe. <laughs> I need to come back as Emmy in my next life. Taylor Swift is the concert I wanted to see. I just don't have the funds for it currently, but I'm sure she'll be back. I mean, Taylor Swift is like always popping out so, new music. Yeah, I would think so. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get into it because we got some good soccer this weekend. Let's start with the Challenge Cup win for the North Carolina Courage. They got their seventh league title. There was a goal from Caroline and Manaka, one of the new players for this North Carolina Courage side, winning 2-0. North Carolina had 11 shots on target to racing Louisville's only one shot on target. What did you see out of this match? And I'd be really interested to see what you thought of these new Japanese players for the North Carolina side. The Courage are unbelievable right now i mean they are hot and, and to me winning the, the cup they deserved it i thought they were amazing i thought they were the best team as the the cup built up and went and kept going i will say this though playing as a player it is hard to win a championship in your season and then come back with the same desire to win another one in the same season so like i won in 1999 we won the u.s open cup i was in rochester uh, and we won the Open Cup, and then we made it to the finals of the league, and we lost in Minnesota. But it was just so hard to get all that energy back back up. You're also playing extra games that other teams aren't playing. So, like, even the teams that made it into the playoffs, they didn't all get those extra couple games and then play teams that were out. But what, what the Courage are doing right now – so in the beginning of the year, we watched them, and they were like, you know, death by a thousand passes, just knocking the ball, except there was no death because there was really no chances on goal. They were just passing for the sake of passing. Well, now they've gotten the ability to, they went a couple stretch where they can pass and break you down and get shots. Well, now they can go long too, because teams are just getting so drawn forward to stop their midfield from knocking the ball around. And their ability, the Courage's ability to understand spacing 
and their movement off the ball and, and their angles. They're just really, really fun to watch. And the Japanese players are really right now the key to the team because they play through them and then they play to them and they, they move them around. And the second goal, Manaka's goal is just pure, um, like the ball in to Bodhi, the, the touch by Bodhi, the touch, the little pass by Bodhi, the volley by Manaka. Like, it's just beautiful, beautiful soccer. And I mean, the whole game, you're like, man, I feel bad for Louisville. They're not going to get to touch the ball today. They're, yeah. they're not going to touch the ball today. And there was just nothing they could do against them. Now, the other thing I like about the courage is, and we need to see this as sports fans, is it's not always the biggest name, the biggest star when you bring in. It's just how a team fits and molds together. And they like, it's funny here because I'm here locally, but they're saying now like best center back duo in the in the league. And I was, I'm just like, as a as a sports soccer person, I'm like, like let's settle down. They're they're not the two best center backs. Oh, in people the are saying Berkeley and uh, here locally, Curry. like look, yeah, the yeah, fans yeah. of the courage, which like, come on now, no. they're they're doing their job, but they fit. Everything fits in its place for Carolina. There, there is no, no, I, their, their identity is known. They all know who they are. They know what their role is. Like Wingate comes in and plays 15, 20 minutes at the end of the game, every game. And she's so excited to do it. And they're excited for her. And, it, and everything just works. Whereas, you know, you build an all-star team as a, a pro team. And it's like, guys don't get along. Guys want the ball more. Girls want the, it's, they put a team together that is truly a team. They like they work for each other. They fight for each other. They understand their role and they're happy with their role. And I think that's what's really interesting to watch with the courage. And then they play this brand of soccer, which it's really good. It's really good for a season and it's going to give them these points. Now, can they do this when everybody ramps it up? And I I know they're going to ramp it up too in the playoffs. Everybody's going to ramp it up a little bit, but when you get ramped up and you're, you're one of these Portland's or you're Seattle or whoever gets in because they're all good teams. It's, it's going to be a little bit different because tackles are going to be a little harder. Defenses are going to be a little tighter. Things are going to be a little sharper. Like I would think now you're coming into a courage game as an opponent. You're like, we're going to run all day long today. This is going to be the worst game. We're sitting in third place, fourth place. We're in the playoffs probably. And that takes place in a season, but in the playoffs, everybody's geared up everybody's going for it. So like, I'd like to see how this transitions into the playoffs. Also, they just won a championship. And like I said, it's, it's hard to win in season a championship and still have more season to go that you have to gear up for all the, the heartache and the the toughness that it takes to win a championship. Right. And there's still plenty of games left to be played four games left in the regular season, even before you get to playoffs and North Carolina has put themselves in a really good position at the top of the standings right now to get there. But you mentioned the passes. That's what stuck out for me in this game. 568 connected passes for North Carolina showed that Louisville couldn't live on the ball. North Carolina was able to progress it up the field and do things that, like you said, they weren't able to do at the beginning of the season. What I think has benefited North Carolina the most this season is it's all new young players outside of the O'Sullivan and Ryan Williams. But even for Ryan Williams, she's somewhat new to this team in a sense that This is her first season of really starting and being a part of this team. She has a completely different role than she's ever had on this Courage side. So I think uh, Nahas being able to come in and bring in a bunch of new players to fit his mold and to fit how he wanted to play really has benefited them to get this win over Racing Louisville. Also, to credit, so to speak, Louisville, they were missing Carson Pickett and Jalen Howe. Jalen Howe is a massive anchor in the middle of the field, and Carson Pickett provides so much defensively for this back line. They missed both those players in the win over Portland Thorns in the regular season match. So hats off to Racing Louisville in that sense, but I think it just wasn't enough to go on the road and play this North Carolina side after playing Wednesday night, play three days later looking for a Challenge Cup win. But to me, it proves that Racing Louisville is right there. They have those small pieces, and now that Katlana and Kanu are playing together a bit more, they have the potential to find themselves in the playoffs and be very successful. I think it'll just take maybe a little bit more time to win everything, but I think this is a great place 
that racing found themselves in and obviously a really good win for this North Carolina side seventh league title. I mean, North Carolina has the mojo. They've got everything going on, but it's like you said, Scotty, can they follow through and get that final win towards the very end? And you don't want to ever think this as a, as a fan of a team, but like I've seen it happen against me. I know that I've been on teams where we've done it. When you're going into a tournament like this and you're going into the final, yes, of course, Louisville wants to win. And yes, they want the million dollars and however that's going to be split amongst the team. But when you're down players and you still are fighting for a playoff spot for something that's really bigger than just the challenge cup, Mm -hmm. like to win the league is much like we all would rather than win the league than the challenge cup as a fan, as a player, you know, you want to win everything. But if you had to pick between them, you're picking the league. So we don't know that they go in and say, hey, we're going to work on a couple things. We're going to work on sitting back. We're going to work on counterattack soccer. We're going to, we're not, we, we don't have picket. We don't have how. Don't worry about losing. This doesn't hurt our, our mentality going forward. We're missing stars. Like I played indoor soccer in Milwaukee was one of the teams we always found ourselves either in the finals or the semis against. And uh, when they would come in regular season and play us, they would leave at least seven stars home. They, they would never bring them. Because they couldn't beat us at our place. So you don't want their morale to go down. So the coach after would always say, well, we didn't have anybody. We didn't bring anybody on this trip. You know, this was our rest trip, blah, blah, blah. So we don't know. Did Louisville go in and say, yeah, we're going to try to win. But if this gets a little bit out of control, and then you had the the rain and the weather delay, and it was yeah. crazy here. And then, you know, is are they going back out? You always want to be the home team in a weather delay, unless you're NC State football team, I guess, playing Notre Dame last weekend. <laughs> But, you know, you know, you have your locker, you have all the amenities, you know where everything's at, you can get food to you, you can, you can, uh, you know where the, uh, your training room is better than their training room. It's it's just the way it is as, as a pro athlete. So with that delay, you know, does, then does he go into and say, okay, now let's, now let's really settle down. Maybe I can get some minutes for players because we're right on that cusp of making the playoffs. And that's where our big push is going to be. So, you know, no taking nothing away from the courage or anything, but we, we don't know what goes on in locker rooms and how they say what they want to, you know, like, okay, we're here, yeah. let's try to win it. But like, nobody put your heads down if we lose this game. Like we're missing players. We're, this is not the end result. This is not why in the beginning of the year do we say, hey, if there's anything we got to do, let's win the Challenge Cup. You know, they're happy to be there, but we start the season and we're trying to win the league. We're trying to win that trophy. That's, that's the number one goal going in. And I've truly... We wanted to win everything in Rochester, but like we didn't go in and say we want to win the, the community shield. Like we don't want to win the the best record. We like to. It was the one game we needed to win was the championship game. That was the only game that really mattered. We got to get to that game and we got to win it. That's what our season, that's what we train for. Not to have the best record in the league. If we did it, great. If we won the open cup, great. But we were trying to win league titles over and over and over. And, and we were fortunate enough to do them many, many times in Rochester. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. And and throughout this whole Challenge Cup and talking to some coaches about their approach to the, ch- the Challenge Cup, some coaches really wanted their young players to get experience, their inexperienced players in, in case somebody gets injured. Obviously, the World Cup was a huge player in this season. So getting young players throughout this entire season and this Challenge Cup play was important. So some teams didn't compete in the way that they are competing in the regular season. And then some teams like North Carolina and Racing Louisville to an extent have competed in a similar way that they have in regular season. But like you said, no one's ever going to disclose completely their tactics and into who they want to play, why they want to play them, and what position. And I think for Racing Louisville, those two big injuries were massive against this North Carolina side. And the two Japanese players that North Carolina has brought into their system, proven they can play anywhere. They can play any brand of soccer. They're very knowledgeable about the game. And that fits in a lot more seamlessly than when you bring a player who can only play one or two styles of play. It gets them, you know, a few games, a few minutes to get up to to speed. And that was very clear that that hasn't happened with this North Carolina side. Um, Yeah, they're going to be a really fun team to continue to watch and how they're going to implement those players in the, the remaining few regular season games as they make this playoff push. This league, this season with the World Cup and players now, especially U.S. players, wanting to get a win this year after what happened at the World Cup. I think we're going to see a really competitive final few games in this league play. Um, But we're going to stay on the topic of the NWSL, but go off the pitch because Portland Thorns and OL Reign sale is expected by the end of the year, according to Commissioner Jessica Berman. 
Portland's been on sale since December 2022 after the Yates report investigation found owner Merritt Paulson avoided scrutiny over the reasons the club dismissed the disgraced Paul Riley back in 2015. He hasn't been a part of any decisions the club has made. And for the rain, they went on the market in 2023 after Washington Spirit's owner, Michelle Kang, began the process of taking over the women's team at Rain's parent club in Olympic Lyon. So the rain cannot be a part of what Michelle Kang is also doing in the Washington Spirit, which means this sale was going to happen, just hasn't happened yet. And then, of course, in Chicago, a $35.5 million sale with $25 million of further investment promised by the ownership ownership group led by Chicago Cubs and Chicago Sky part owner, Laura Ricketts. Thankfully, someone bought the Chicago side because yes. this team, man, they needed somebody to invest and someone to bring in money to be able to buy players, to trade players, to figure out how they are going to play. I'm very interested to see what's going to happen with Chris Petroselli with the Chicago head coach and, and what happens with his role or how things change for him as the coach. But those are three big clubs in this league and three clubs that have been very stable throughout this you know ebb and flow of NWSL. How do you see these three sales, one's already happened, but two that are pending, affecting the NWSL moving forward? Man, it, it, that's a great question because the Chicago, I think, based on what we've seen with them in such flux before the sale, it can only be good. It can only be a positive for Chicago. I mean, I feel for those players, it's got to be so hard going in day in and day out. You can't like, am I going to have a contract next year? How do I negotiate? Do I negotiate? Do we have this coach? Am I going to be here? What's going to be here? Like, that's like, a, and then you got the the tactics of the game and stuff and play and you got to right. stay fit and you got, you got so much going. It's, it's hard. So like, for me, it's like Chicago, you finally won a game. <laughs> You yeah. finally got a win, but you finally got something to go your way. So I think that for them going forward, it can only be a positive now how it's run and what they do. But I mean, we're talking about the Chicago Cubs. I mean, one of the most stable organizations, not not the most winningest organization, although they've been much better in, in the near future. I mean, in the, in the present, but it's a stable club and you don't ever think anything bad's going to happen to the Cubs as far as they're not going to, they're not going to go anywhere. They're always going to be around. So hopefully they bring in some of that experience. They get the right people in place to run the, the business um, and take care of the business and everybody gets on the same page. That's coaches included and, and players included. So I, I think the Chicago one's good Portland and Seattle. Now that is a different story because you're talking about two since they've been in two kind of stalwarts of, of the league and Portland, when you look at them, you're like, that's, if I'm a club, I'm trying to be the Portland. I'm trying to be Portland. I mean, I know the courage have won seven trophies and, but the courage were Western New York. So they moved from somewhere else. Portland has always been Portland. Portland is, is the, to me is the identity of the league in, in itself. Oh like, yeah. What a strong, stable club this has been for so long. So now you don't want to just sell it. it. It's so stable that their owner hasn't been allowed to do anything with the club and they're still just going along and, you know, they're, they, they're in second place, but they have a chance to come in first, you know, by the end. Like, I just feel like now whoever gets that team, we hope it's done the right way. And then for Seattle, there's another one where like you were connected to Olympic Lyon in France. It's, it's such a storied franchise in itself. Um, and now you, you're going to sell and be a different club now. Who's coming in to take over Seattle? Are you going to do it the right way? Now, there's enough money out in the Pacific Northwest. Now, that doesn't mean that they have to be the people that become ownerships. But usually your ownership group is lo kind of local to the area or has some ties to the area. And they're trying to do more for the community than just, than, than just have a, a team for themselves. Like usually it's for the community. They usually buy into these teams. So hopefully it all goes well because – Three teams out of 12, and I know there's a couple teams coming in, but, like, you don't want to see a lot of teams getting sold. And I was saying to you, when I see houses for sale in my neighborhood and a whole bunch, of, I'm always thinking, what do they know that I don't know? Why is yeah. everybody selling their houses? And, you know, but some people just get different jobs or whatever. But I'm same as here is, like, we know the Seattle reasoning, what was going on in Chicago, what's all of a sudden going on in Portland. Is there a reason? Is, is you know, what what is all going on? And now can we get this – 
organize and put back together because we don't want to lose any momentum of what this league has built over the right. last few years. Yeah, no, totally. And I think with two new clubs coming in in the 2024 season, this should be a positive, uh, bringing in people who really want to be invested in the league, people who see the momentum of not only just soccer, but also women's soccer here in the States. And going off of what you said about Portland, how, you know, the changes ownership or, or Merritt Paulson has to step down because of what happened they still have the good players. They don't have to go out and get better players because what they already have within their system is good. And that that helped the Thorns. That, that worked in their favor. Uh, I think for Seattle, I mean, OL, they're called OL Rain right now. Like, are they going to go back to Seattle Rain? I would like to see it. It makes more sense. I mean, it's in Seattle. Let's, let's call them the team of where they are located. I think there's going to be some rebranding, not only just what they're going to be called, but actually their logo branding is going to be different. Um, with Megan Rapino stepping down, I'm really interested to see, like she's been such a big face of this OL rain side for so long. She's been a part of this club forever. I don't see her completely stepping away from the NWSL in that club. I'm not saying she's going to be an owner necessarily. I'm just very interested to see how they're going to use her now that she's not playing on the field anymore. And with the Chicago side, like you said, the Cubs, uh, somebody who clearly has part ownership in the sky, who's invested in women's sports, who's invested in sports in America in general, this should be a huge boost. Chicago's a massive sports market. Like, why doesn't this Chicago Red Stars side not bring more fandom? Why don't they have more people following them? Why is Bridgestone Arena, not Bridgestone Arena, sorry, Bridgeview in Illinois, like, why is that stadium um, always fairly empty. It's, it's a good brand of soccer. They've got good talent. I think I hope that Laura Ricketts can bring in more for the Chicago side. I think what, like when you're just mentioning, and I, I think you make a great point is like with Chicago, the ownership coming in, I, I honestly think it's a little bit of an easier job for them because Chicago's been bad. So yeah. you can make wholesale changes. You can go at it. You can go at it. But like with Portland, you come in as an owner and you try to change things and you go the wrong route and you, you're going to lose a lot of your fan base because they're used to something. The players are used to something. The people that work in the organization are used to something. You buy the club, you buy the Portland Thorns. What do you change? Nothing. Yeah. Like I, when, when I come in, if I'm the owner and I buy it, like, and I wouldn't just all of a sudden buy it, but like, I, if I, Hey, I'm looking to buy it and I'm, I'm the front runner. Well, I want to come in and I want to talk to everybody. I want to know how things are run. I want to know, like, and I, and I want to know from the players too. I want to know, like, how do you, what do you like? What, what, what has been great over the years? Like, what don't you like? And that doesn't mean I'm going to change things you don't like, because it might be you don't like it, but it works in our favor. I played in Cleveland in indoor and we sold like at the end of my, my eight years there, they got sold right before I left. And a new ownership came in and we had went to the finals five years in a row and won like three. And then we lost in the finals right when the sale got made. And the new owner came in. He's like, we're going to change everything. And I was like, you're going to, why are you going to change everything? Like, like there's probably tinker with it, but don't change it. And he did. He made these massive changes. Like I run a business. I know how to do this. I'm a blah, blah, blah. Like. Soccer's a different business. It's a, it's a weird business. It is a business, but it's different. There's things that have to be done differently. Sometimes you have to lose money to make money. Sometimes you have to lose seasons to gain longevity. Like it's, it's a weird sport and it's a weird business. So like in Portland, you come in and you try to make all these crazy changes, man, you better hope they all work because that is a, is a club that has a foundation that they're always great. You know, at the beginning of the year, teams are who's up at the top. We're all picking Portland. We're all thinking Portland's going to do it. So like, if I'm coming in and buying it, Chicago, like I said, that's a different story. Seattle, I think they're good, but they haven't done enough. So I can come in and change some things there too and say we're making these changes. And if it goes a little bit of a rye, you know, we can come back and and, and come, come back to things. But like Portland is like, they're always up there. They're always fighting for a championship. They're always the best team. They always have the best players. They always have the best fan base. So it's it's tricky coming in. And if I'm in Chicago, I got to figure out. And I think part of the reason is the same reason the courage don't do as good here is there's too many things going on outside of just the game. Like when I played in Rochester, we were very good. We put a great product on the field and we were winners. But it was the summer in Rochester. And the only thing going on in the summer of Rochester is minor league baseball, 
who wasn't very good at the time, and festivals. So we were getting 15,000 people in the stands because that was the thing to do. In Chicago in the summer, <laughs> there's White Sox, Cubs, yeah. you know, the museums, like everything, everything's going on. Here they're battling, when it's colder, they battle the hurricanes. When it's like their season, they, they're battling right now all the colleges. Like there was nobody at that championship game on Saturday because State played Notre Dame, Carolina was home, and Duke was playing. So like the, the people didn't want to go, they, they wanted to watch their college teams. And I think that's what Chicago fights. It doesn't matter how much the the product on the field is great in Chicago because there's so much to do in Chicago in the summer. Yeah, and for Chicago, they don't even play in Chicago. They play at SeatGeek, which is in Bridgeview, Illinois. So I think that's one big thing that Laura Ricketts needs to do is find a way to get this Red Stars team a little bit closer to the city. Great, granted, in the suburbs, you're you're bringing in you know the parents who bring their kids, who play at the youth level, who want to see. That's great. And we see that in the stadium, but they also need to find a way to bring in the casual fan, the people who want to come in and, and see the Red Stars play, who want to see Mallory Swanson play. And Swanson, her husband plays for the Cubs. So there's that branding there that that's how they need to launch off of that, find a way to continue to bring in some of these Cubs fans who know, obviously, Dansby Swanson, but also Mallory Swanson and bring them to the Red Stars games. I think there's so much that needs to happen in Chicago. I agree in Portland. I mean, they've got an amazing fan base. There's nothing you need to touch there necessarily. I'm sure there's some back end stuff that we don't know. But overall, the club is run pretty seamlessly. But in Seattle, it's, it's a little bit different. You know, sometimes oh, yeah. they've got a good crowd. Sometimes they don't. Is there a way that they can build a soccer-specific stadium and not use Lumen Field that's built for the NFL? Um, I think there could be a way to draw more fans that way. But it's it's a, they're playing in a great place. They have some, you know, good, solid players. They've got some name recognition with Sofia Huerta, Rose Lavelle, Megan Rapino, who won't be there anymore. But like I said, I expect her to still be involved. I think there's so many moving parts and uh, these types of stories are so interesting to me because what happens off the field obviously always translates to what's happening on the field and the branding and how teams are selling themselves. So this is something Scotty and I certainly will be keeping our eyes on to see how this story continues to develop. But we're going to move away from the women's game because the U.S. men's national team played this weekend and they beat Uzbekistan for rather 3-0. But it wasn't it wasn't that easy, Scotty, because there was a goal in the fourth minute and they didn't score again until 90th plus one minute. So extra time of this match, a goal from Timothy Wea, Ricardo Pepe, and then Polisic didn't even have a run of play goal. It was a penalty kick goal that got the U.S. men's national team their third goal. Uzbekistan outshot them 15 to 13. So Uzbekistan had more shots than the U.S. did. How does the U.S. men's national team grow from this match into their next one that is played Wednesday night? How did they? Man, I, I don't know. And, and there was like, I watched the game, and uh, we were good in spots on the field at times. I, I thought Pulisic was okay, uh, and I wouldn't say more than okay. I thought he was okay. I did like um, the kid that came in, Taylor Tessman, who came in, Watch his face got injured and Taylor Tessman came in. I do like him. And I would like to say this to fans, if you don't know, Taylor Tessman is playing in the Serie B in Italy. So the second division in, in Italian soccer. And I'm not saying Serie B is a better brand of soccer than Serie A or any league or, or, you know, anything, but the second division and third division in European soccer is so hard to play in because a lot of these players are right on the cusp of being a first division or your team itself, if you can get promoted and, and move up into it. So like the hunger and desire in these games and the physicality in these games, and you're talking Serie B anyway. So Italian soccer is a physical game. It is so intense. I, when I played in France, I was playing third division and I was like the whole time for two years, if I could just get a, a league one game in people would see, because there's, there's a little bit in a weird way, more time and space because of how talented all the players are around. Whereas in the lower divisions, there's a there's a drop off of the top seven players on the field can probably play in the top league. Maybe eight, nine, and ten really can't or or aren't the best, but they're all so intense and so fired up. So this guy's playing in a league where everyone's trying to get to Syria, Syria. 
So, like, it's such a hard league. And he came in and he was physical and he played fast. And and I thought he was a good, like, I was like, wow, where has this guy been? Why haven't we seen more of this young player? I was really impressed with him. I am going to say a couple of things, and I'm sure the fans of U.S. soccer are. I think the, one of the big problems for U.S. soccer, besides our center backs, I think our center backs are very, very they're, – they're, they're the liability. But I am not a Weston McKinney fan. I'm sorry. I am not – I think he causes more problems on the field than he does to help the team. He's a, he can, he's a workhorse. He, he plays his hardest. I'm not saying anything, but like he makes a lot of mistakes and he does a lot of things where he's solely thinking about how he can help the game. Not how, is it the right thing for the team with the movements and the shifting and the sliding? He does a lot of things where I think if he's not on the field, I think we're a much better team. Um, and I know he got the assist on the first goal and it was a great first touch, but like, like I said, he he does a play like that, and then he has 10 where he just gives the ball away. Um, and I still say our our forward line, and I understand Burhalter, he had his, I'm going to play 45, and then this guy's going to play 45 with the forwards. But, like, we, we when Burhalter coaches us, a lot of times it doesn't seem like there's any continuity to our, our play. There, there's It's like people are unsure, and, and they play unsure. And for me, the, the glaring statement of the whole game and the whole – prior up to the game is we got a little bit more insight of of Burhalter now that he's the coach and what are we ex- to expect and I, I thought the biggest thing for me was when he said I haven't spoken to Gio Reyna yet mm-hmm. like we hired you and in the statement it said because you're going to be he was the best leader for this team that speaks volume like what do you mean you have not spoken to Gio Reyna because he broke his leg and you knew you weren't going to bring him in for these games. Like you, that doesn't, when we play in a meaningful game, we need Gio Reyna in, in the nation's league cup. He wasn't even close. He was by far our best player. Like we need Gio Reyna and we need him to be the 10 where you never played him because that's when the team looked the best. Everybody had their thoughts. Everybody had their ideas. And we were the best two games I've ever seen the U.S. put together back-to-back was those two games. And we didn't even have Tyler Adams playing because he was injured from the World Cup. And, like, for he's, he's our captain. He's for sure a starter. So, like, you add Tyler Adams with Musa and Reyna in there, which is great for me because I just said I didn't like McKinney. But, like, what do you, I don't understand how you haven't talked to this guy. Like, what do you mean you haven't talked to him? Like, that's, that was your num- first job. If I get this job back, the first thing I have to do is talk to Raina. So I have to what, do it. what, what I agree that this conversation should have been had long ago. I mean, Burhalter has been a part of this back in this system for so long now. <laughs> why does he, he want to have those conversations? And also the other question to me is like, why isn't Crocker pushing them to have this conversation saying, Hey, like he's clearly our best player. We've seen him do great stuff for, you know, our, our team and in a different role that maybe you don't want to play him in. Let's all like kind of swallow our pride a bit and have a quick conversation. But like uh, that would have been in my interview process. How are you right. going to handle the Raina thing? Right. That, that would have been like maybe question number one, Crocker. If I'm Crocker, I'm like, how are you going to handle this? It's like this kid is talented. Like, yeah, great. His parents have acted wrong. Good. We'll keep them away. We'll, we'll you don't have to talk to them. They're not playing, but this kid's going to play and get to Germany. Like I'll go with you, but like, don't we have people like in place? Like we talked about it on the show, like, okay, if you hired Burhalter back, who's the mediator? Because yeah. this conversation has to happen. And, and I don't think it's going to be an easy conversation, but it has to like, that's what I'm saying. Like why, why haven't the day he got hired and he signed his contract the next day he should have been in Germany or wherever the hell Gio Reyna was and had, had a dinner with them. Had, and the funny thing is Reyna was hurt for a long time. So he wasn't even practicing with with uh, Dortmund. So like there was times to meet him, go to Germany, go and see him, get on the U.S. Soccer's dollar and take the plane and go go with with everybody, go with BJ. He's had a good relationship with them. Like there should have been people in this room. There should have been a dinner. It's like like almost like a recruiting process. Like we're you know a lot of things have happened. He's going to be better. You need to be better. We're going to keep our eye on everything. But you know we got to push differences aside. Like forget about your past. Like this is the only way forward. Like to me is like, this guy is going to lead us. Like a leader knows to do that. A leader knows to go in and talk to these players. Like, because part of the job in my interview process, I'm also saying you got plans for Reyna. Please tell me you got plans for Reyna. Like right. we just saw him play. 
He's amazing. But don't you think uh, he assumed Crocker probably assumed that he had plans for Anna, right? Like I think some people just assume then, then they're, they want to get into the nitty gritty and they're like, Raina did such a good job. I know, you know, there's issues, but we're all adults in this room. I'm sure for Crocker, there was a bit of an assumption that Burhalter would just handle Raina in a, a normal fashion, which if ever, if I've learned anything in life, you can never assume because. Correct. Correct. <laughs> and then I mean like the way it went down that Burhalter had to go through what the process he went through. Right. Like we can't assume like th right. this is like, this is craziness that just like, you're telling me on the national team, I got two mom, a mom and a dad calling friends that are in the business trying to get a guy in trouble. Cause they didn't play his son enough minutes. Like it's youth soccer. We're dealing with youth soccer. Like how do we deal with that? But this is at the national team level for me is like, I, you're right. We could not assume like those that need to be, they were bullet points in my interview. Like, how are you going to handle Reina? And I'm not saying how you're going to handle Claudio or his wife. Uh, who yeah. cares? Like, don't ever talk to them again. I could really care less what your relationship with that is. That is that's personal, right? This one's not personal. This is the benefit of the United States U, uh, soccer federation. This kid needs to play. You need to squash this. You need to, and I'm not telling you to play him if you don't think he should play, but there's no way that this kid's not are on our national team. So you're going to have to talk to him. You're going to have to get him to buy into you. You're going to have to buy into him. And we need to, and I want to be in that. I want to be in that process. I want to hear what you have to say, because if it goes the wrong way, I quickly gave you the job. I will quickly take it away from you too. Yeah, no, because, absolutely. Because, because what BJ Callahan put on the field and I understand like, he was an interim to an interim, but like those, I'm telling you, those two games were amazing. How good we played. They were, and, and one of the games we didn't have McKinney cause he got the red card. Like, and, and I'm okay with the red card. Like that was against Mexico. That showed our fight. That showed our desire. We were playing great. They got chippy. They couldn't handle it. Yeah. Did we lose our cool a little bit? That's fine. We did. But like, to me also is like when, when I watched this, this game, cause it wasn't good enough. But there's our players out there that are doing some good things. Like, Sergio Dest to me is like, here's a player who couldn't find a club, finally found a club. He was in this limbo. That guy's playing with a lot of hunger. So that, that's a good, like, let's push that. Let's push that product. Let's help this kid because yeah. he, he's playing with tons of desire. Tim Ware is super comfortable. Polisic, like I said, wasn't great, wasn't bad or anything. But, like, he's super comfortable now at AC Milan. He's happy. He's not at Chelsea where he's fighting for minutes that he really couldn't even get. So like things are on the uptick with us and then for that to come out and then, then, okay, I haven't talked to Gio Reyna. That's the first thing that comes out. And then the product we watch them play and like, like I never thought we were going to lose and I know we got outshot, but like if I'm the, of the two coaches, the other coaches got to be way happier. Like they were like, they played a better brand of soccer than us. And no, I there's just things that, that happen on the field. Like, and I directly to me is like, that goes to Burhalter. Like that, that to me is like, why were we playing so good and now you're back and we're playing crappy again? Well, it seemed too that to your point of uh, earlier, the US men's national team weren't connected and it seemed like their possession was with uh, without a lot of purpose. Like they would try and draw draw out Uzbekistan and then go over the top, but it never worked because Uzbekistan figured that piece out and then as soon as, you know, the opponent figures out what the national team wants to do, then they flounder and they don't know what to do because they can't rely on the principles of what they have in place because the principles are out of control. I mean, there's no principles. It's this team has kind of floundered a lot since what's developed post world cup and what's happened with the whole Burhalter scandal. So I think if this national team can come to a consensus together, if they can find a principle, that's very simple, not club style of, of principle, but a principle that they can all come back and remember and rely on then they have something that they can continue to build on. But up until then, and up until this whole Reina thing gets figured out, I know he's injured, but I know that that has to bring some drama into the club. I mean, you know, these men going into these camps aren't having these conversations saying, why hasn't Berhalter spoken? Or no, he shouldn't have spoken. I'm sure a lot of people have their own opinions on what's going on with that relationship. But until all that drama gets figured out, I think there's still going to be a sense of unsteadiness on this team. And 
Real quick, I want to correct myself because I'm getting my days completely confused. The game is tonight against Oman, 5.30 Pacific time, 8.30 Eastern time, played in Minnesota. So after when this, this episode airs, obviously this game will be played, but it'll be very interesting to see what happens and who he kind of puts on the field and if he tries to change up some tactics on Tuesday night. We're going to stay with the national team topic because – Right before Scotty and I jumped on to record, the U.S. Women's National Team released their September camp roster. And I am going to real quickly just say who's been added to the roster that wasn't at the World Cup. So goalkeepers do not change. It's going to be Kingsbury, Murphy, and Nair. On defense, Davidson will be at this camp, and so will Casey Kruger. In the midfield, our girl Sam Coffey will be there. And on the forward position, Mia Fischel and Ashley Hatch and Jaden Shaw, San Diego forward, will be at this camp. Obviously, we're very pumped that Sam Coffey and Ashley Hatch will be a part of this camp. I think those are really good decisions. Those were must-ads. Kruger, sure. Um, why not? Give her an opportunity. Davidson, I think, is a good decision as well. Jaden Shaw has been I think exceptional with the San Diego side and a good addition as well. But overall, how do you assess the amount of players they brought in, who they decided to bring back, and what we might see out of this these September games? I I think it's almost a little bit. And again, I, I I'm a big Jaden Shaw fan. I I am a huge I'm a huge coffee fan. But I think coffee has in her two years solidified she's the future. And I I feel bad or for whatever reasons, because now I have my own thoughts on these and we'll get into those a little bit later, why Coffee didn't make this World Cup squad going going into the World Cup. Uh, but Jaden Shaw, I think, has really came out of nowhere this year and really solidified herself as a, a bright future in you, uh, women's soccer. So like, and I, I think we talked about her on our very first, like who we were looking forward to seeing play this year. Um, but like for me, there's certain players that uh, listen there. If she's your starter and still your starter, and I think there's certain games where she should start, and I think there's certain games where she shouldn't. But like we know what she is. Here is an opportunity to bring in some players, and and we're gonna get the response of like, well, this is Rapino and Ertz's last game, so you want them to go out with their the crew that they kind of came in that are still there. And I'm like, yeah, that's. That's awesome, and that's but that's not the reality of it. This is like this is the federation. This is the World Cup. This is the Olympic team. This is going forward. We have to do the right things to make sure we are going in the right direction. So, like some of the players, I don't think we need to. I, the goal, I wouldn't bring Nair in. I would not have brought Nair in. I, I'd bring uh, the the girl from Louisville in. Katie I would bring her in, and this way, and, and I wouldn't. I would bring Murphy in, but I, I wouldn't bring Murphy in maybe even to play one of these games. Because I've seen her in games. So, like, I want to see other players. I want to see how they react to games and how they react to the pressure and all those fans. And it's a little bit different when it's the women's team because the women's team went into St. Louis and packed the house. The men's team were just in there. And it was, like, nobody. It was a, it was a terrible – they didn't sell out. It was, it was a bad showing. And then they showed bad on the field. But for me, it's like – we need to make some de de decisions. We need to get some new blood in. We can't be scared of it. And we got to go for it. And, like, we, that might be changing up the way we play. So that that's obviously what we have to do in order to catch the Japans, to catch the Spains, to catch these teams that when we played them, we saw to catch the Englands and be like, man, they're, 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 we're not number one anymore. We're, we're, we're not where we used to be. We have to make some changes. And that's why, for me, Jaden Shaw, Coffee, those girls can play a different brand of soccer. They could go play in the, in the Super League. I, and I think watching Jaden Shaw, she's doing really well, but I think she might need to be a player that we need to say, hey, you might need to go to a different league just to see the brand of soccer. So when we see it on the international level, it's not brand new to us. I think part of the problem with our teams is we get so comfortable in playing one way and then it's the only way we know how to play. So like, like when the men come in, the men are being taught Pulisic being taught how AC Milan plays. Tim Ware's playing Juventus, uh, McKinney, whatever. And they're, they're playing, and when they come in, they keep that system that they've been playing all year with their club team. Whereas more the European teams and the Asian teams, when they come in, they know the players they're with, 
and they adapt to their style of play yeah. that the player plays in is best for them. We just go in and said, well, this is what my coach that I love at AC Milan plays and it's working for me. So I'm going to do it, but I don't have the rest of the AC Milan team behind me. So I have to adapt my game to how the players I'm playing with play and what's good for them and what benefits them. And that'll also then benefit me. And we don't do that on, on any of our national teams. I think we come in, Morgan says, this is how I play. Sophia Smith says, this is how I play. This is how I play. So bringing in different players is good because we have to get used to each other. And these players are going to be the future of the sport for us. But I also think we need to study the game more. And that's one of the good things about, you look at some of these European teams or like Spain, you got, yes, you have a whole bunch playing in Barcelona, but then you have some in Mexico and you have some in England and you have some here. And so they're learning these different brands of soccer and then when they go back together, they kind of teach each other a little bit different style, and then they adapt to what's best for them as a whole. And I don't think we do that anywhere near good enough. No, I, I completely agree. There's just no change, and it's very predictable, right? We just read the roster, and that those players are in addition to the World Cup players, obviously. And we know exactly what we're going to see out, out of this game. And my hope, though, is that these players actually do see the field against South Africa on the 21st, because there's a there's a chance that they won't you know there's a chance that we see the same world cup lineup alex morgan in the nine sophia smith playing out wide trinity rodman so predictable we know what's going to happen like throw in Jaden shaw see how if you want to play alex morgan fine whatever see how that connection works on the national team level because we all know how it works in San Diego. And to me, that's why they're bringing Shaw in is to see how she works on the national team level. Give her that opportunity outside of just training to play. Mia Fischel is a player I'm really excited to see because she plays for Tigris and Liga MX. She, come, she came over from that club in Chelsea who head coach for Chelsea, Emma Hayes, spoke super highly official. And I think this is exciting. We're seeing a player who doesn't play in NWSL, who hasn't really been a part of U.S. women's national team soccer talk really ever to be able to come in and potentially fit in well, fit in somewhat seamlessly because she does bring a different style of play to this club and is something we haven't seen. And that's what we've asked for. That's what we've all called for post-World Cup. It's stuff that we haven't seen. But she has to get those opportunities to step on the field and play. And also for Sam Coffey, I know this is Juilliard's going away game, and this can roll us into the next conversation, Scotty. But I hope Coffey gets some minutes, and this isn't the Juilliard's show. Let's see her play her final two games because that's not fair either. either. And not that this game is about being fair, but it's about what's going to benefit this team and giving Juilliard's 180 minutes of play doesn't benefit this team. So the next conversation is Juilliard's announces her retirement from the national level, from the club level, and now she's going to be a part of these two games in the month of September with U.S. national team. Good call from U.S. soccer to bring her in, or should she have been done with her retirement announcement? Man, I am... Uh... And I'm sure we're going to get a lot of flack from all the Juilliard's lovers. And, and listen, before, give me the flack. I could, I could care less. But yeah, I think Juilliard's at one time was the best soccer player in the world. Oh, yeah. Now, that is what I think. When Agreed. she was the center back, she was the reason we won the World Cup when she played center back. She was the reason we won the World Cup when she was the six. No doubt about it. But for this to go out the way it's happened, this to me is from a, from, as a player and a person who loves, and I mean loves the game, like I can't go a day without it. It's hard for me to go an hour without the game somehow, watching a game, playing the game, teaching, coaching, whatever. Julie Ertz, when she decided to come back and play in the World Cup, she was totally for Julie Ertz. This was not for the United States. This was not for her friends. This was not for the national team. This was so she could say she won three because she had no desire to play after the World Cup. And, and listen, people that have played sports know it. Like there comes a time where you don't want to give the game up. I understand that she doesn't want to give it up, but she just can't do it anymore. Whether that's physically or whether that's mentally, because it, it is a grind, it is hard. It is hard not to see your family. It is super hard. And I understand all that. But to play in seven games, sign an NWSL contract, go to the World Cup, lose, be sad on camera, and then like a week, two weeks later, whatever the hell it was, to then announce that you are 
She did not just leave the national team players hanging out to dry. She left her club team out to dry. She left a player that was maybe trying to become a pro. To me, like, I don't know why I like this player so much, but, man, I am so sick for Sam Coffey that Julie Ertz did that to her. Like, that was that was her position. And Julie Ertz took it by name recognition because she wasn't terrible in any of the NWSL games, but she wasn't like me saying, like, whoa, we got to get her there. She has to be on this team. Like, and then the results that we had at the World Cup was like, and I'm not saying she even played bad. She didn't. But, like, that's just so wrong for the game. Like, tell me a player that has ever done that anywhere, has sat out two years, made a comeback, played seven games for a league that let you into it for, man, I'm guessing somebody knew what was going on there too. So I'm disgraced with that. Then the Federation takes you in and then the World Cup ends. And no, you don't just retire from international play, which normally happens. And you're doing that because your time is up and you want the next generation to get their time. She retires from football altogether. Like, I'm sorry, man. No, no way. I am. I'm sick. That makes me sick to my stomach. I just don't think that's the way you handle it. She should have came back, finish out the year. You, you signed the contract. Nobody made you sign that contract with it. The NWSL. Nobody made you do that. You decided to do that. So now you're just going to leave all that. That team's just got left out to dry. Those fans hung out to dry. Like I went to the Julie Ertz game here because my daughter said, I want to see two players, Alyssa Thompson and Julie Ertz. And Julie Ertz didn't play here. So, like, when I look back on the whole thing now, I'm like, well, that was a rest day that we didn't get privy to. And that was a rest day to have her ready, not for the season, not for the season, for the World Cup. Because coming back from injuries or coming back from time off, it's hard to get back into playing shape in the sense that you can do it over and over and over and over and over again. It's the recovery that's the hardest to come back from. So they were planning her recovery stages in the NWSL to have her ready for the World Cup. So, like, I went and go to this game, and, like, I don't get to see her because she didn't have any desire for my daughter to see her play. She was there to get ready for her for the World Cup for her last hurrah, for her, all for her. And that's why I think we do bad in in soccer in the United States is because we don't play for the love of the game. We play for the love of us and what the game can give us. And, and it's going to be super hard. It would be a conversation me and her had, which is never going to happen for her to change my mind. Yeah. And I don't ever That's see fair. me sitting down with her. I don't ever see me sitting down. But, like, I can read the articles. I can read all the things. I can read everybody thanking her for her service. And all I can get out of my head is she cheated the game and she cheated players. I agree that the sense that Art should have finished out the season, right? Like there's still a handful of games left to be played. You clearly can play in them because you performed fairly well in the World Cup. I thought she had a good World Cup. And I think that's how she should have ended her career if that's how she wanted to do it. Finish out the season. You don't have to play, you know, any more international games, but just be done once November rolls around. The the biggest question for me is what was the conversation when she signed with Angel City, was she up front? Did she say, you know, I don't really want to come back after the World Cup. I want to go home and, and be a part of my husband's NFL career and, and take care of my son, which, you know, that would be fair because if Angel City decided and they mutually agreed on that decision that she would only play a handful of games prior to the World Cup, then you know what? I give her that. But if she went to Angel City and said, I want to come back, I want to be a part of women's football again, I want to be a part of what you're building, blah, 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 then that's where I have my issue. Because to what you said, that's not fair to the game, that's not fair to the team of Angel City, and that's not fair to what the league is trying to build. Because you are a good player, you did get the opportunity to sit out two years, which is great, like she was able to start her family and do what she wanted to do and come back from the injury that she had. But yeah, to me, it's just there's so many question marks of what happened. Why are we being so secretive? Let's be a little bit more forthcoming because you are, even if she didn't want to be, like she is the face of women's soccer in so many ways because we know it's Scotty. So many people comment on the show, huge Julie Ertz fans, which is great. She's done so much good, but to end it like yeah, this. They're so, so mean questions. to us sometimes. I think it's Zachary's yelling at us. I know. I'm like, goodness gracious. We don't even really say anything bad about no. her until today. Until today, like, and again, I don't like, I think we said anything bad about her. To be honest, I think we're on it. This, this is the player I wanted my daughter to look up to. Yeah. Until this instant, 
And and now it's like, and like when I play it all back in my head and Coom was the coach and she would be like, they'd be like, well, how's Julie's injury? And they were talking NWSL season and she'd be like, well, she'll be ready for the World Cup. And like, nobody's even asking about the World Cup. Like she missed the game. Will she be in the game this weekend? That's what we're asking. Is she Like how bad, how severe is the injury? We're not asking for the World Cup. We're asking about the next game for you. And her response was always, She'll be ready for the World Cup. Like, so was it like this big plan from the NWSL and U.S. soccer to get her back? Like, that's what I mean. It's like, and if it was, which we don't know and we're never going to find out. But to me, it's like that again is like there. Listen, there are soccer gods and they take care of business. And what we saw in the World Cup, like to me, is like, mm hmm. Yep. Got what we deserved. Like, because you can't go into a game. I've already spoke on announcing my retirement before I'm done. Like. I know people do it. I don't think so because it always gives you that little thing in the back of your head like, well, this is the end. Do I really want to go into this tackle and risk my Achilles or my knee or breaking a leg? Because after this, it's over. So like mm, 17 games, I don't know if I'm going to go in that hard. Like, And you can't say that that doesn't creep in players' minds. So like when I retired, it happened to be right before the season. And I finally came to the conclusion like I just didn't have it in me anymore to be all in all the time for a whole season. And because of that, it was cheating the team. It was mm -hmm. me. Listen, I would have been there. I would have been a starter. I probably would have made the all-star game. I made it the year before, but it wasn't fair to any player on that team that is trying everything they have to continue their career, to get better. And I'm finishing mine out. And in my head, I'm already finished. So I, I didn't even go into a training. I called everybody and I said, look, man, I just, I, I can't cheat you. I can't, I don't have it. I can't live on the road. I can't live in hotels. And that I understand. Yeah. But the way she went about it, like, oh, she didn't say at the end that, oh, my last time putting on the crest, like last time putting on the jersey, you're about to screw everybody in L.A. Like to me, it's like, I, I just, man, I, I just don't see it. Man, it makes me, it made me so angry. It made me so angry. I even thought the conversation that Ertz had post-World Cup with Jenny Taft was like, she had already made up her mind. I mean, that conversation was literally right after the game. And she said, this is the last time I'm wearing a crest didn't announce her retirement, but it made everyone kind of go, wait, what? Like, is this how you're going to do it? And um, I thought that was strange. Like to me, that reads, you made that decision before this game even kicked off or before you even came to Australia, you know, and it's we're, like you said, we're never going to get our answer, but I think it's a shame. She's such a talented player and had, you know, I think still so much to give throughout the rest of the season. I would have loved to seen her finish out with Angel City, a side who has the potential to be really good in this playoff push, but you know, right. it is what it is. And Ertz has decided to be done with it all and we wish her well, but. If I was on Angel City, that would be, that would be bulletin board material for me. What'd you say? If I was on Angel City, that would be bulletin. I'd put her picture up every day, every day. I'd put it in the locker room and I'd be like, we're going to win this whole thing because of her, because of what she did. And, and I'm telling you, like, there better be a good conversation if I was a player on that team why you can tell me why you did what you did. Because maybe I'm a friend with Sam Coffey. Maybe I'm friends with McCaskill. I don't know. Maybe I'm friends with somebody who I think should be on the national team. And you took their spot because of a pass. And that, that, that man, that rubs me the wrong way. No, and I think, I too, to your comment of Ertz being able to help the younger generation, like Danny Weatherholt, Madison Hammond, play in that six and there was so much time and even if julie didn't get 90 minutes of a match she still could have been teaching you know danny weatherhole or hammond her game her style how she plays the six what she's learned whatever it is and i think even being a part of that would have been okay but we have a saying at next level is i show up the tournaments to collect my trophy i win them in training like that, like she could have been in those trainings. Right. She could have been playing, maybe coming off the bench, being a part of the team, showing her desire to play. But like, I get it. You don't have it. You don't have it. But that means you didn't have it for a while. It's not all of a sudden like the World Cup ends. And you're like, well, you know what? I just don't want to do this anymore. Like you, you didn't want to do this before the World Cup because you got to travel. You got to live in a hotel. And in the beginning of your career, it's kind of fun seeing all the different cities. Yeah. At the end, like, at the end, you're like, I'm missing, I don't I'm not with my, my husband. I'm not with my child. I'm not with whatever. Like for me, I was like, I, I wasn't with my family. I wasn't able to start a family because I didn't want to cheat my wife. I didn't want to cheat my child. I didn't want to cheat the team. So we, we held off having a, a child till I retired from soccer. 
like because it wasn't fair. It was, I can't give everything. And I'm not saying like don't have a child when you're in season. Some people can do it. I personally couldn't do it. Me and my wife didn't live together the whole year. I lived in one city. She lived in another city because I was playing in my seasons. And that's just the way our life went. But like when I signed on with the team, once I signed on the dotted line, even after finding out maybe I was being screwed contractually, you got everything. No one made me sign that contract. I decided to do it. So once I signed it, you got everything I had. When that contract ran out, if I thought I was screwed, I tried to make it back. If you didn't want to make it back with my new contract, then I went somewhere else and gave that team everything I had. It's just the way I was brought up to play the game. And to me, like just to all of a sudden, nope, I don't want to do it anymore. It's not good for me. Well, there's a lot of things in life we got to do that's not good for us. And no one asked you to sign with Angel City. No one asked you to do that. No one asked you to come back. And if they did do it, then I want to know that. I want to know the national team screwed over a whole bunch of players just to get her in the lineup. Julie Ertz isn't the only person leaving the game as of right now because you can always come back, right? Uh, New England Revolution head coach Bruce Arena was suspended on August 1st, and now he has come out and has uh, issued an apology and has left the club. There's been obviously a lot of speculation over what happened, what was said. We have no idea what was said, and Maybe we will never know, but there was quote unquote insensitive remarks made by arena. And that is why he is leaving the club. What do you make of this whole situation? I know this was your yellow penny a few weeks ago. And the fact that we still don't know two weeks later, like what actually happened, what was said, you know, why MLS wants to move away from arena, why um, they put him on that suspension. But moving forward, what does New England Revolution do? What does MLS do? And will we ever find out? I mean, the last part is answered. We'll never find out. But I guess the two questions, most importantly. Yeah, we just said we don't like to assume, but like the MLS and New England Revolution and Bruce Arena, you're, you're giving us nothing else but to do but to assume. Like, how do we, how do we not know this long what transpired? When the kid in the Red Bull said it we found out exactly what he said then he said what he thought and that was all a report we found out the yates report was like 26 pages or 36 pages worth of information that we got um when burhalter stuff happened we found out all we found out all that out like why are we not hearing what he said listen people make mistakes all the time like but now now let's like He's going to resign. Like, is it really, it sounds like one of those things when you get fired and they're like, some, you did something bad, but the company's like, hey, if you just say, I quit, then we won't let out what you did so you can get a job somewhere else or do something else so no one will, you know, really think too bad of you. It's like, we got a paragraph from Arena. We got a paragraph from New England Revolution and we got a paragraph from the MLS. I think sometimes when, when less people are involved, they feel it's easier to keep quiet. Yeah. And, and that's just not soccer. I think that's everything. But like last year we had the same kind of an incident kind of in Boston with the Celtics, but we got all that information. Like that wasn't on, that wasn't with the team. That wasn't within a game. That wasn't with his players. That was with a staff member. You want me to be a fan. And you want me to cheer for the league and you want me to buy Apple TV and you want me and listen, Messi can't be the only reason I'm doing it. Like there, I, I, it has to be a league wide thing. Like one, you got to get me interested in the league. Like, like today we are all sad. I am a Chicago bears fan and I am sad today that we do not get to see Aaron Rodgers because yeah. I love the NFL. And like, it's bad when we lose players, like it's that aren't on my team. So like for this to go happen and then like nothing's being really told about it, like insensitive. So like you got people getting saying that maybe it was racial, then it's not racial. And then it was this and then it was insensitive. Then it was like, like, yeah, but what was it? What did he say that he's resigning and he wasn't coming back anyway? It doesn't seem like. And it's also and it like Bruce Arena isn't just, you know, Joe Schmo off the street coaching an MLS team. He's coached. The U.S. national team, he's been a part of this league for a long time. He's been, honestly, the fabric of MLS in so many ways. It's US, like, he's basically Sir yeah. Alex Ferguson of U.S. soccer. He's won college championships. He was MLS championships. He's, like, the winningest coach in U.S. history, U.S. national team history. Like, I mean, the guy's, like, 
I'm not a fan of his coaching style and we've met each other. I played against him in college and stuff like that, but like, I'm never cheering against him. Like I'm never hoping for bad things to happen, but like, okay, he made a mistake. Like I've made mistakes. People know about them. And then you grow from them. You, and hopefully become a better person because of it. Like, and I understand that's what he said. Like, I'm going to grow from it, but yeah, I know that's what we all have to do. Like that's, but like what, like, I'm not cheering for new England until I get some information. I will cheer against them. I hope they lose every game. And that's not fair to Richie Williams or the players there. But, like, if this is the way you're going to handle your business, and, like, for the MLS, it's hard. Like, why is it so secretive? What did he say? What? what, what how bad could it have been? Like, I mean, I, I don't get it. Like, people say bad things. People say stupid stuff. And, like, do they mean it? And I, I like it when people say something and they're like, that's really not in my character. And you're like, you said it. <laughs> it, I, it is now. It is now in your character. Like you, if it's not in your character, you would have never even, that would have never came out of your mouth. It would have never came out of your mouth, nope. but it did because we make mistakes. Yeah. Yes. For the most part, it's not in my character, but every once in a while I lose my, my head and I lose control and, and stupid stuff is said, and I'm going to lose my job for it. Great. But this is what I said. Well, also too, you know, when you take on the role of the head coach of any team, league, whatever, it doesn't matter. I mean, any role where you are a leader, like you take on the responsibility of what comes out of your mouth is going to be made public and you're going to be scrutinized for it. You're going to have to handle it, blah, blah, blah. And it seems like MLS is really protecting whatever was said and, um, yeah, you know, we might never find out what happens there. We probably won't w find out what happens with the, you know, the Juilliard situation. I mean, if things are kind of like consistent, what happened in Kansas City hasn't even be been forthcoming in the NWSL. So I, I think this is still a conversation. And it's still the top of what's happening in MLS. And there might be more that comes forward and we'll definitely stay on top of the story and, and what might happen. But it puts MLS in a weird spot with how much they've progressed with Messi coming and how well he's done. And I think the league's done a great job with the value of some of the production of games and the talent's done a good job. You know, this kind of sets them back a little bit because it makes fans be very confused because this would never happen in the NFL and MLB. Like things would be super forthcoming. I agree. And, and is it something, and again, I mean, who knows what he said, but like, it, it almost seems like, Hey, we're, we're really riding something really special here with this messy in Miami thing. And look at all this. We don't want anything to disrupt this. So let's just push this under sweep it under the rug and be done with it. And like, I don't think that's the way you should run it. Like no. he said it, he did it. Like, don't, it's not going to hurt. Like a lot of people aren't even going to care what he said. I, I, I truly believe that, that some people will be like, yeah, that's, you know, par for the course, you know, like look around a lot of crazy things happen in soccer. You know, I don't know if people have been noticing, but, there's a little craziness going over on in Spain. Yeah. Like people involved in the game are a little looney tunies at times. So like we need to know, we need to move them out. Like, listen, the NWSL had a huge problem. They fixed it. They're trying to resolve it. The league is the best it's ever been. So like you can go through hard times and it's still, and still grow from it as a league. So like the, to me is like, it's, it's so just sneaky. Like it's just like a sneaky thing that we're not getting anything from it on any, from anybody. That, that's what's just weird to me about it. We'll see. I mean, we've got plenty of NWSL this weekend. Their regular league, league play is back in action. MLS is in action. We've got the U.S. men's national team coming off of a game against Oman. They come off that Uzbekistan win, and the U.S. women's national team plays on the 21st. Plenty of soccer left to be followed. Make sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and you can watch us on YouTube at SFTP Pod. And we will be back next Wednesday. Four more straight from the pitch. Have a great week.